Hello, this is TalkHouse Editor-in-Chief Michael Azarad, and welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. The iconic multimedia artist Laurie Anderson always has two or three projects going at any one time. And aside from her upcoming feature film, Heart of a Dog, she's unveiling an installation and performance called Habeas Corpus, which takes place in the cavernous Park Avenue Armory in New York, October 2nd through 4th, 2015. Habeas corpus, as we all know, is the foundational concept of American democracy, which holds that the state has to have a good reason for detaining someone. Among Anderson's collaborators on the show are the great Syrian singer Omar Suleiman, ace multi-instrumentalist Shazad Ismaili, and Laurie's partner in the TalkHouse Music podcast, Meryl Garbus from Tune Yards. Meryl and Lori actually met through a TalkHouse Music podcast, and you can hear them hit it off in the course of that conversation. In fact, they hit it off so well that Lori invited Meryl to develop a musical piece with her for Habeas Corpus. So on the occasion of their collaboration, we brought them both back for another chat. They spoke mostly about the show, but when you get two such brilliant, interesting people, the conversation is going to go to some fascinating places, and it sure did. So here we go. Lori Anderson and Meryl Garbus from Tune Yards on the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Hi, Lori. Right into it. Hi, Meryl. How are you? <laughs> Fine. How are, How are you? you? Oh. How are you? Good. Where are you? Where I am now? in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Oh, God, my home state. Really? Yeah. And Whoa. I just realized, uh, having to do with habeas corpus, that um, I had seen, like, at a state fair... Um, probably something like, like a state fair, one of those animatronic Lincolns with a projection <laughs> onto his head. And he was, no. was moving, going up and down, bobbing up and down. I realized that's where I got this idea for like talking statues. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was some kind of like, like, yeah, it must have been a, like a state fair. The other possibility that I thought maybe would have been something like the Smithsonian, but I mm-hmm. checked into their sort of history, and they don't—they never had an animatronic talking Lincoln puppet <laughs> <laughs> that they can remember. Yeah. Well, I'm bringing the cornfields and the state fairs back back to this project then. <laughs> oh, that's good. You and David Foster Wallace. Uh, mm. Um, are are so that brings me to a question which is what what was the first what was the first animatronic statue that I mean is this the first working one or have there been others you know I started doing this in uh, 76 was the first little statue I made mm-hmm. and I did it because I, I started work as a sculptor and I um, wanted to put stories in galleries, and I didn't know how to do that. Did you ever go to like a Biennale and um, you uh, come to the like film room and you've seen all of these uh, installations and then and paintings and stuff, and you can like run through it and then you go, oh no, the film room, that's going to be like, and you see that there are seven films showing and it's going to take about eight hours. Right. 
and the benches are really uncomfortable and the uh-huh. screen they is are. crappy. And, mm-hmm. and then you realize, you know, it's a very bad place to show something narrative. So Definitely. I thought if I can make little talking statues, it's going to be cool. I can just put them in, down on the floor and then there's going to be this like massive scale difference. So you'd look down at mm-hmm. this four foot tall little person telling you a story. Yeah. And it was also about point of view. So the first one I did was called At the Shrinks. And it was like a little clay figure and it was in the corner and it, of, of this gallery. So you walk into a huge, what seems empty room and you see this little person <laughs> talking and telling the story. And the story goes like this. I spent some time uh, seeing a psychiatrist and I, I would get to her office early every morning and she had the, her office <clears throat> set up so that she was sitting in a corner and one side of her was a window and the other was a mirror. And I looked at the mirror a lot as I'm facing her. And and one of the things that I noticed about the mirror was that on Monday it was perfectly clear and by Friday it was covered with these lip marks. I thought, <laughs> what's greasy kind of lip marks? And, I, <laughs> and just in passing one day I was saying, you know, I'm like talking about various processes and how things happen and uh, you don't know why they happen, and then pretty soon they they happen consistently, and then you start depending on this random thing happening, and you you really you know it has to happen. Another way, if it doesn't, it's like something's wrong with the world. Anyway, I said it's like the lip marks that appear in your mirror, and then are gone on Friday. And she turned around and she said, "I, I what lip marks? She couldn't see them, and I because of the way the sun was coming in at an angle and hitting the mirror, and so I said, why don't you?" Uh, come up and come over and sit in my chair. You can see them from here. Now, I had never seen this shrink get up out of her chair. It was like, you know, it was like one of these people glued to a chair. And um, she got up out of, out of her chair. She could actually walk. She came over, <laughs> she sat in my chair, and she said, Oh, lip marks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the last time I saw her because I realized <laughs> that um, we were seeing things from such literally points of, different points oh. of view that I uh, wouldn't need to see her again. So anyway, um, so I started doing things about points of view and um, how to look through someone else's eyes or what it looks like from where you're standing. And so um, that was a part of a whole series. And then I did this uh, um, uh more related to what's happening in at the armory was this project I did in a uh, Prada Foundation in the about 15, 16 years ago uh, with a prisoner. So anyway, um, and that's that was, how it started. And and what's funny about that story you just told about the lip marks is that you were talking about the statue, the little statue, saying telling a story. And it, when you first started talking about the therapist's office, I thought you were telling that story. First of all. Like, oh, I see. You know, yeah. a story, <laughs> right, with, <yeah. laughs> a story within a story, a story within, within a story. story. Who's and, telling the story? And I, and I also have a point of view story. As soon as you were telling that lip mark story, I realized that I had, I have a similar experience of. I work at I worked at a coffee shop, and we we were having a staff meeting, and I said the 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 bathroom's disgusting. It's awful. It's just horrible. The, the, everything just is so dirty. And all the guys in the room kept saying, what are you talking about? It's fine. And yeah. we talked and talked for a half hour. And then I realized that 
we we face different directions in the bathroom. <laughs> you <laughs> sit on the toilet, and the right. mirror was disgusting. Oh, and uh, anyway, so it is it is remarkable, and and it's a re- remarkable. I mean, I think the your your ability because I've seen I've seen you perform several times and and watched you know things that you have done and seen videos and listened to your music and and it's remarkable how the lines blur between Laurie Anderson talking and then Laurie Anderson talking for someone else. I mean, it, it doesn't, it right. kind of doesn't matter at a certain point what, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, who, yeah. who are you and yeah, why, exactly. and you know, <laughs> who do we care about? Uh, why do we care about it? We, you know, I, I, I feel invested in whatever story you're telling, no matter where it's coming from, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I think, I, I'm really intensely interested in what you're saying because it's like, it's about how empathy works, mm-hmm. you know, and you just kind of go, oh, well, I'll identify with that story to some extent, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so then you do. And it's, it's, um, uh, uh, so, so when you, when you get a, when you get a, a chance to kind of do um, switching points of view, uh, it can, things can start getting really interesting, mm-hmm. you know. But mostly, you know, when you do a song or a film or something, you're, there's a kind of consistent narrator in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so you, you, you identify with that, the I in that, in that um, song. Now, you uh, have, have um, an, a really interesting way of using you in a song. Do you want to talk about how that works in your songs? Me, me, Just, Meryl Garbus, or the, or me, the narrator of some sort. Any way you want to say. Yeah, any I, you want to speak for or to or from. Well, it's see, I I also have. I mean, it's been very. It was really inspiring to read your New Yorker piece because you you mentioned something in the very beginning of it of this idea that if you kind of if you dabble, I don't want to say dabble, you don't dabble, you, you. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Well, I also dabble. And, and if you, if you pull from different art forms, then you don't get, um, what you call the art police don't come. (laughs) The art police don't say, Hey, you can't, you know, get back into your music box or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, I feel, I feel very much in a, in a music box in, which I've, I've been very grateful to be in this music box. I love being um, identified as a musician. Um, I love being lauded as a musician. I, uh, but, but there are these things that get tricky because, like you say, there, there are plenty of my songs where I am, I am not, um, you know, when I start saying the word I, I am not Meryl Garbus. I am some other character perspective. And I yeah. think generally in pop music, people aren't used to that, that there's a, a sense that when I'm talking about my heartache, I'm, you know, I met, you know, you don't love me anymore or whatever. That mm-hmm. is generally thought to be the perspective of, of the singer or or not too far off, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we did the Celebrate Brooklyn, Brooklyn show and I sang a song of ours called left behind and there's 
you know, I come from a theater background where you get on stage and you, you become a character. Yeah, it's called writing. Right. It's called, it's called, yeah. Right. Performing yeah, yeah. and acting and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but when Meryl Garbus comes up there and she says the words like, my, this, this place has really changed its ways. Luckily, there's only really rich folks living here. Uh-huh. Remember what he used to do to me? Remember, oh, and then uh, we said, it goes to, we said we wouldn't let them take our soil. And those words, like that line alone, we said we wouldn't let them take our soil, has meant so many things through these two years that we've been touring with that song. Right. We, I sang it when... Uh, Israel was bombing bombing Palestine, and that meant right. something very different. Right. And um, you know, we see city, gentrification in cities across the planet when we tour, and I think it reflects that. But but never am I um, am I thinking. Meryl Garbus said, "Hey, we said we wouldn't let them take our soil." It's always mm-hmm. um, food for thought, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but saying that in Brooklyn, I got some people who had never seen us before saying like who does she think she is you know oh please <laughs> yeah <laughs> really yeah okay. okay i know that's really kind but of it's that's kind of what i guess that's that's the shit i thought i would be starting in a way you know mm-hmm. like why <laughs> why is she why is this white girl from connecticut saying this who is right. she right. um so anyway, so I, I love to play with those those things, but I, I don't think that people, especially in the music world, are um, they don't really know how to take that all the time. Oh, they, I think they do know how to take it. They just figure that I is you, mm-hmm. that, that you that the person who's saying that stuff in the songs is what you think because you're using I in the songs as a structure. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's just pretty simple. They don't think beyond that, I don't think. But... It's interesting, though, that with that, the the um, the soil thing, because mm-hmm. as soon as you use words like that, it's like so controversial. U.S. soil, what's it, what are, you know? And <laughs> I just just um, you know been realizing since a couple of days ago, or maybe yesterday, when Omar said, "Can we um, uh, can we donate some of the money for the armory shows to uh, this to the Syrians?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, you know how much this thing is about borders and about transgressing borders Mm -hmm. and how much of a a big question thing that is right now. Mm -hmm. And I just love it when smaller or medium-sized questions get caught up into really big questions, the ones that people don't even talk about, like the the big um, things that assumptions and stories that people live by. So... This is a, a pile of, of stories on a lot of levels. One is the stories of interrogating a, mm-hmm. a, a person and, mm-hmm. and having a so-called conversation that's really that. And another story is, is the bigger stories of that, that rule the world, like um, uh, the assumption right now that it's just going to get warmer and warmer and hotter and hotter and then we're going to all drown. You know, and we, it's like, so the, the, the story of climate or the story of, of uh, immigration. And once something like this hooks into a bigger story, like your U.S. soil did in Brooklyn, you know, it becomes very interesting because then the song or the or the whatever it is, the film or whatever you're making has a lot of really interesting resonance for people. And they kind of go, oh, that's like that's really about 
my life, you know, right, right. that's fantastic. So, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's but, really great. but, um, and, and that's what I, that's what I think art is. I mean, that's why I want to be an artist, you know, yeah. at, at, with all of the trappings of that word, it's yeah. because it's only through art that I've, that there is any, um, reflection on truth. And I never think that art is truth, but art can, you know, as you, with your perspective example, the mirror can become, um, the mirror gets angled at all these different, um, and all these different per- points of perspective so that at least I, I have a, a chance at seeing some truth in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think journalism can get at truth too. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think really good journalism is, is about things the way they are, not the way they could be or they should be. And, and they, mm-hmm. that as long as they avoid the punchline, <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. artists get to you, we get to use the punchline. Right. Um, yeah. But, but um, journalists, you know, I, I don't know when they do, it's like usually the easy way out. So, yeah. Uh, and they do. I mean, I, I yeah. Oh yeah, do. they do. They do. They do. They do. <laughs> but I guess it's the same as good, you know, there's good, there's good art, there's good journalism. Yeah. Did, did you, um, I, speaking of journalism, cause I know that you wrote, you know, that it was an essay that you wrote for the New Yorker, but, um, but, at, you know, I, wit- I have witnessed you kind of struggling uh, with how to, um, with how to speak about this project to yeah. the public. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I just want to say that I really think that you did such an amazing job with that piece because you put it all in there. You put all of all of your uncertainties in there, which I think is a great way to handle <laughs> that I situation. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say I put all of my uncertainties <laughs> in there. I've got quite okay. a few in reserve. <laughs> you know, fair, a fair. little bit of bits of paranoia, bits oh, of like sure. regrets, you know, a lot of other things. Sure. But, you but, know. But, but this, the very first thing that, you know, the first thing we see is the first thing I saw is the picture of you and Muhammad. Oh, yeah. um, and I was so shocked that he's a person. I have to say, right. Lori, after all this, you've told me so many stories of him and I, yeah. and I've been so struck at the, the, um, the friendship, I'm going to mm-hmm. call it that, that yeah. it seems that the two of you have, have built over these past months. Yeah. Um, and just to see the two, is that actually a picture of the two of you actually standing with each it other? It is. It is. We're Amazing. in a studio in West Africa. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. And there was something about that, that, you know, again, with all, with all this talk of, of, you know, the, the humanity of these prisoners that we don't lend a lot of humanity toward that still, it was so shocking to me to see, to see him and to see the two of you next to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is uh, that that and that's what I hope happens when people come in and and see him in real time that he's arrived, he's there and he's he'll also have um a camera and a and a, and there'll be a feed so he can see what's happening in the armory. Uh awesome. so, yeah. So it, it'll be really um cool. yeah, so that will be linked if not in place in in time. So uh that's uh, uh something that's uh I, I think it's it's hard to predict because when we were making this statue, and um, it was uh, it was not what I expected. It was almost you know it was people would come in and we we did it kind of secretly over like a week. We didn't you know, but the, a few friends came to see it and they they looked at it and went, oh my god, 
because it's really big. It's yeah. Really, Good. And <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I, we were going to keep it kind of um, a little bit more human scale, like, like a 1.7 humans, so that it would be like mm-hmm. a child to an adult sort of, so it wouldn't be like a big statue. But right. they delivered twice as much foam. <laughs> that's the reason we, I thought... Let's just let's just use it all. Use it, yeah. So, so that's why it's so big, <laughs> and um, and amazing. And I love the way it looks. I mean, it's it's a really really wonderful size. And oh, so, good. I think also, and the the shows at night because um, we want to make sure that people get a chance to see him. It was going to be that it was just going to be an empty chair. But now mm-hmm. we're going to continue uh, with the person in the chair as people come in, mm-hmm. and that it'll start over at the chair. So maybe you and I can do something over there. That would be great. Yeah. And then we move over to the the stage with the drone, something like that. I'm Definitely. I'm going to be looking at that uh, this weekend, and then uh, I'll, I'll just send a couple of ideas. When do you actually get here? When I get there Wednesday. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. great, great. Yeah. So by then I I'll have tried out a few things and 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 um, and we can talk about how we how we'll do it. But um, can I ask you a question about about, um, I have so many questions and I could talk to you forever, but, um, the, the idea of talk, talking to prisoners, I mean, I mean, dealing with prison as a, as an institution, um, did that start with this Austria project? Um, yes, it did. And why, and why prison? What was the, I mean, I, I know of many reasons I can think of, but why specifically? Well, specifically because, um, uh, it was a way to look at, at time. And also I was um, in this little town and I was supposed to do a big sound installation in this 13th century church and it wasn't working. And three days went by and they said, what's your idea for the installation? It was one of these really reverberant spaces. Mm. And I wasn't into like, I couldn't handle reverb. I couldn't really mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I... I w- climbed up to this bell tower and that's when I looked over and saw the maximum security prison in the middle of this like little perfect otherwise perfect little town I was like this is so crazy mm-hmm. the guys there standing in the in the um, guard tower and I'm in the bell tower and I'm thinking okay <laughs> what are these towers about who's looking at who here and what is the body so um, I you know I started thinking about how the church um, thinks of the body as you know something that's there and not there, and especially the Catholic Church, and and so that there's a sense of like in uh, incarnation and things made of light, and and over in the prison bodies that have to serve time, and so um, you have this incarceration um, uh, thing as as punishment. So so who are we and what are our bodies was was really um, what I was thinking about more than prisons in, in specifically. So mm-hmm. the prison versus the church was what uh, the original thing was. And then yeah. then later, you know, when I was trying to do this at the armory, I, I got um, more uh, interested in prisons just because, um, you know, in New York State, um, it's a, I think, second after insurance it's a huge business. It's like supporting the state. Uh, it's a kind of a prison economy in a way. You know, it's. Yeah. A, I, I'm not sure it's second, but it's it's one of the top four sure. things. And so, um, that would be really interesting to 
to see that. Now, of course, we have like uh, also this kind of weird fascination with with prisons. If you look at MSNBC, you know, they're doing like um, prison shows from midnight. Yeah, there are prison yeah. shows. Yeah. yeah. So what is this? Yeah. interest in people being punished you know it's almost this kind of like the rule following people are like kind of love seeing mm -hmm. you know uh lock up and lockdown and you know it's, it's it's a very weird kind of voyeurism yeah. that um but it's also i think partly because a lot of people do know someone in a prison there are lots of people who are in prison now and definitely so it, it's definitely yeah. a subculture that that's you know um Orange is the new black thing, which stylizes it, and and then some of the reality shows that are much more about you know what different restraint holds, and you're like, why is everyone tuning into this? Yeah, in the middle well, of the night. And the night. it made me think of that. I mean, that from you say in that article, once once incarcerated, the prisoner no longer owns his own image, and so cannot let anyone else use it. That that was one of the obstacles that you faced. During exactly. This. I mean, that's that in and of itself is like, whoa. Yeah, right? <laughs> that no, you don't own your own image in this yeah. day and age yeah. of, of everything well, being about those images. That's in Austria. You know, that's not necessarily here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's some leftover as far as we could tell from some Austro-Hungarian, you know, series of really strange laws about mm -hmm. about ownership. And But mm -hmm. ownership of your own image is a big issue for 21st century people as mm -hmm. well. You know, how does that work? And totally. and and, and um, I'm sure you've run into that as well. And, and mm -hmm. it's a really, really fascinating uh, problem. We only have one more minute before we I have know. to stop. I you know, I wanted to tell you that one of the things that some people, musicians came by um, while we were working on the statue and said, can I just come and play? And I was like, yeah. So during the day, we're, we're going to have a bunch of people who are going to just stop by almost like they're in a like a subway station or something and just play their instruments, some bagpipes, yeah. some like um, um, horns, saxophones and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, my friend Matt actually got asked, and Michael approached him about coming to improvise, oh, good. I think would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I love so, it. I love it. I think we have about probably 10 or 15 people who are going to come over the period of three days and just to kind of wander around and play with those drones. Oh, good. And, and I just... I just love it. It was Zorn who who started it. Oh, so cool. um, I just thought, you know, this is a really nice spirit of people just kind of joining and doing whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited, Lori. I can't wait. I'm, I yeah. can't wait to just camp out in that space for three yeah. days. Great. It's gonna, <laughs> we're going to have a blast. We're going to have a blast. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, good luck with all the rest of the preparation. I'll see you Wednesday. All right. Great. Have a great okay. show. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ask me, but all my wisdom departed. Tell me, but all my wisdom departed, but oh, please at least answer me this. Answer me, answer me, what's the business, yeah? Don't take my life away, don't take my life away from a distance, yeah? Don't take my life away, don't take my life away, I'm a victim, yeah? Don't take my life away, don't take my life away, I'm a victim, yeah? Don't take my life away, don't take my life away. And that's it for this edition of the Talk House Music Podcast. Thanks to Mark Yoshizumi for recording the conversation. And to our producer-engineer, Elia Einhorn, for turning it into a podcast. For more TalkHouse Music podcasts, by all means visit our SoundCloud page. 
or subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And to read smart, notable musicians, including Laurie Anderson and Meryl Garbus, writing about new music, please do visit thetalkhouse.com slash music.